I'd recognize that piece anywhere. Cornelius Pufferfish's Opus 67 Symphony in Blue. Patrick? It's a beautiful piece. Execution needs some work. May I suggest that on the seventh bar of the Adagio Adante that you add a little fortissimo on the arpeggiated B-flat scale? Wow. <laughs> Welcome aboard to the most porous podcast you'll find along your travels of the tubes of the internet. I'm ready! A SpongePod Squarecast. I'm your captain, Captain Eric. It's a pleasure to welcome you aboard as we celebrate our favorite neighbor on Con Street, our favorite best friend of SpongeBob, and the first time, surprisingly, that he has been the named subject of an episode, Patrick Starr. <laughs> I'm always surprised at that piece of trivia that up to this point in the show, even though we have had a a few episodes all about Patrick, he hasn't actually had his name appear in a title. Patrick Smart Pants, one half of the pants duo that we have here, uh, quite an episode lineup, Patrick Smart Pants followed by Squid Bob Tentacle Pants, but we'll save that for next week. This episode is the first half of the 68th episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, and it first premiered on October 21st, 2005. Our storyboard directors for this episode are Casey Alexander and Chris Mitchell, who wrote this episode alongside Tim Hill. Our animation director is Tom Yasumi, our technical director is Vincent Waller, and as always, our supervising producer is Paul Tibbet. Deep within the soul of Patrick Starr, there lies a son. A son that was born on October 4th, 1957. And I'm talking about the one, the only, Bill Fagerbaki, who of course provides the voice of Patrick Starr and has since episode one of the series. And we'd have that voice, we've grown with that voice, we've grown with this character, even up to the current news that apparently the Patrick Starr show within the ratings of cable, is number one in a certain demographic of of children. And the demographics of ratings are honestly the most important because that tells you the audience that is currently watching the most. And honestly, you want maybe a younger skewing audience sometimes because that shows, hey, you know, younger audience will grow with you. That means you have a strong growth for a long period of time in the ratings, or, or hopefully. That's the idea behind it. And... Whether or not Patrick Starr's show is number one in, in whatever demos, it's doing well. Well enough that it has a second season on the way, and from all accounts, I've seen some of the animated bits that have come out of the Patrick Starr show, and I can't say that I I dislike them. I, I genuinely love seeing these characters in new art styles, and I, I'm of the understanding that the Patrick Starr show takes place within the head of Patrick Starr. Like, this is canon within his head, if you want to, you know, whatever canon is to you. But that's that's the understanding I'm, I'm within. That anytime you see Spongebob characters, they're of what Patrick, I guess, thinks of them in that, not in that moment, but Spongebob has, of course, a tuft of hair. Squidward has extra 
um, uh, bumps on his nose. Sandy is always wearing glasses now. There's there's differences. And then when you look outside, all of the clouds are stars. And it's just, it's a weird environment. A lot of weird, goofy things happen. And the fact that it's just all taking place in his head, if that's true, I, I'm fine with that idea. I'm fine with its existence. I love that uh, other artists out there get to flex their creative chops with these characters. It's what's been done with Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse, and I see no difference in, in having it done with SpongeBob. It's it's a fun time, and uh, and apparently it's doing well. So my my hat tips off to Bill, who just as I I mentioned the word nuance earlier. The performance of Patrick Starr is is absolutely uh, I, I, beautiful comes to mind, but I, I feel like that uh that isn't the right word. Over time, the character has evolved, where if you go back to season one of SpongeBob SquarePants, he may have not been the brightest, but he still seemed a little bit more put together. And SpongeBob actually went to him for advice. And Patrick's advice, although it was off-put, I mean, it's still, you know, it, it was better advice than anything we would get from modern-day Patrick Star. But over time... His intelligence started dipping a little bit and dipping a little bit and dipping a little bit to the point that we could actually have an episode like this where we have a perfect dichotomy between Patrick Starr and Patrick Smartpants, the subject of today's episode. That I can't even be proud of that transition. I'm talking about Patrick this whole time, so it, it would have been a slam dunk regardless. Um, I really love this episode in a deeper way that I hope I can get across in this podcast. If there ever is a purpose for this podcast, and if there ever is a purpose for anybody to sit down in front of a mic and talk about SpongeBob SquarePants and break down an episode, it's all due to the layers that you can find in a conversation about an episode like this. Man, does an episode like this bring up so many emotions from the past that you might not even be aware of. You might watch this and and not even think about the the deeper storytelling that's going on right in front of your eyes and go, I mean, this is SpongeBob SquarePants. What are you talking about? Well, just uh, take my hand. Let's dive in and let's let's check it out. So this episode starts out, honestly, the first minute of this episode is pretty much I would even say the first 30 seconds, the first raw 30 seconds of this episode is probably what most parents growing up not watching SpongeBob with their kids thought was SpongeBob 100% of the time. And there are parents out there who think that the first 30 seconds of this episode of just the obnoxious laughter of SpongeBob and Patrick and just them doing goofy things, that's the entirety of the show. And then they walk around aimlessly. I have no idea why it's so popular. What? Do you, what? I mean, you, you really think just... Uh, even Beavis and Bud had two characters that are literally laughing at each other all the time. There's a deeper meaning to why it's popular. So even after all these years, it's, it's funny to me. There are probably still parents out there who think that SpongeBob SquarePants is just these characters. Which, to be fair, I can't really say much about too much of the modern episodes, and there's an era of SpongeBob that I'm waiting to get into for this podcast. I've I've not watched certain episodes 
because of of the podcast that I, I want to have a first time experience, first time exposure, give you my honest thoughts right in the moment. And um, and yeah, that that's my expectation for those. So if there are future episodes out there that feature a lot more obnoxious laughter and I know that there are those that exist. So I'm not even not saying that it's a hypothetical. I know that they exist, but if there happen to be more of them than I am aware of, then I apologize to some of those parents. But at this point in the show's run in 2005, when it first aired, there certainly were parents that had a staunch stance that this show was like 95% to a hundred percent just the first 30 seconds of this episode. So right when it started and I, I was watching the the way that SpongeBob and Patrick were just frolicking through jellyfish fields, they were jellyfishing, laughing. The first thought that came to mind was this is what most parents probably think SpongeBob is most of the time and have no idea of the different layers that the show can actually get into. And as they're jellyfishing, going about their business, they eventually find into a game of tag, which it's just fun watching SpongeBob and Patrick have fun that naturally transitions into other other activities because when you're a kid and you're outside and you're playing with your friends that's the best part is when you're playing one game or you're doing one thing and it naturally transitions into something else you know hey let's go for a bike ride you go to the park or you go to the skate park you you go to a destination and then you're immediately doing something else with your friends or even when you're in the backyard and you're playing a, a football or catch or some other activity, and then you move on immediately into something else. Uh, and it's that that kind of experience is brought up right when this happens because it just felt so natural. They just fell right into tag. And as they're playing tag, SpongeBob is it, and Patrick is running away from him and is not noticing the massive danger cliff sign, which, by the way, I've seen enough of jellyfish fields to know that there are a ton of um, cliffs and places that people could get onto and fall off. And never once has there been any sort of barriers or an attempt to stop it. So I'm not sure if I should give them credit in this situation that there was a cliff so dangerous enough that they decided to put this, this giant sign blocking it. Although you could easily fall off the cliff right around that sign. Which immediately reminded me, at the end of my parents' street in our hometown, we have a dead end that has railroad tracks right in the front of it. And um, there's a, a, a fencing right at the end of the road that for the longest time there wasn't any fence there. It was just the end of the road and a, a patch of grass, a long patch of grass, and then the, the tracks and at some point, I think maybe even 2005, it could have even been this year that this episode aired. Um, but at some point in my uh, teenage years, they just put up uh, a fencing in front of the uh, in front of the road where it ended. So, yeah, somebody couldn't drive their car under the tracks, but they could drive around that piece of fence. It, it made me laugh anytime I saw it. I knew it was up for legal reasons, probably just to say, hey, we had a barrier there. So, you know, if somebody tried to claim, you know, otherwise to get on the tracks, then I, I, you know, I understand legally it probably had to be there. Eventually they extended it like 10 years later, but for the longest time it was just this one lone structured 
fence that anybody could just walk around. And that reminds me, right when I saw this danger cliff sign, there was a there was an attempt to make sure that you knew there was a cliff, but there was no attempt to block you on the sides of it. You could go to the side of, of all of that fencing and still fall off and and get hurt. You could you could still you could still have that happen. I guess with the signs there, it's it's another way to cover the assets of the owners of Jellyfish Fields, whoever happens to be in charge of running the uh, the the property and whatnot. Even if it's just the land that Bikini Bottom owns and they still have to maintain it, they still have to put up signs for safety reasons. And, and it's understandable. It's understandable. But it's just still the fact that somebody could still get hurt. I mean, it's it's to cover their buns, if you know what I'm saying. If, if somebody falls off, tries to sue, hey, we had a sign that said there was a cliff. We told you there was danger. Patrick, like William the Refrigerator Perry, absolutely barges straight through this sign and goes flying off of that cliff, slamming to the ground below. And in a beautiful homage to the classic running gag of the Wiley Coyote falling off of various high points of, of the desert, hitting the desert floor. When you just see the camera looking down and you see the character going from, from fully on screen until they're bit of a speck, and then you see that cloud of smoke once they hit the ground. Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner, my favorite Looney Tune duo ever. I I have to say. And that that kind of comedy is is worldwide. It's it's just classic slapstick comedy. The characters don't even have to speak to one another for everybody to get the comedy. They were created by Chuck Jones and Michael Maltese. I want to shout those creators out. Of course, the legendary Chuck Jones, I have no problem talking about. But uh, I, I love I love those bits so much on Looney Tunes, and it's such a classic gag of, of that character falling. It's been lampooned in so many cartoons, so to see it done in SpongeBob here brought a smile to my face. And Patrick slams to the ground in such a force that his head, the top part of his star is completely knocked off of his block. And SpongeBob, to his distraught, runs down, grabs Patrick's head, and is unable to find the rest of his body. Until a headless Patrick star comes into frame, and SpongeBob then reattaches his head. And, and in one of the most beautifully animated parts of this episode, it, it's one of my favorite bits where we get to see the inside of Patrick's brain for a second which we've seen it before and it's apparently a, a tiny a tiny brain but here we have a brain where at the bottom of the of the brain stem it's made to look like the the end of an electrical cord which will certainly look different depending on where you are in the world anybody who has even looked at the various electrical plugs from various countries could could then just see the animation here and know where where it's from but there's an electrical cord that at the bottom we see that there's an electrical outlet somehow on the inside of Patrick and somehow the the dangling cord just plugs right in and it's this visual representation of somehow SpongeBob reattaching Patrick's brain was able to click it into place in a way that the gears started turning and now Patrick's intelligence 
has been activated. It's turned on. (laughs) (laughs) I find all this laughter to be highly illogical. I know I've made that joke before, and it's probably low-hanging fruit, but I couldn't help but put the two audios together of of the laughter and, and smart Patrick. Patrick Smart Pants, who all of the sudden has just become very pompous, and as he says, his intelligence is ever-growing. All of a sudden, he's aware of the world. He understands everything that that he knows, but it's just something in him clicked, and now it's all about the logic part of his brain. And what I found interesting was when I paused the screen at, at some moment, I had to answer something on my phone. It wasn't a, a phone call this time, and luckily, there wasn't a, a guillotine in place that I had to stare at, but uh, I found myself right on the screen where... Patrick, the the frame kind of comes out, and you're able to see the two of them standing next to one another. And SpongeBob is is lovingly looking up at Patrick, and Patrick is is they they clearly have been able to capture more intelligence in this character just in his stance and the way he's standing and his expression and the way that they were standing. It was as if SpongeBob was on stage right, Patrick was on stage left. And here are the parts of your brain in action. Of course, the right side of your brain, if you're on stage right, the, the staging terms is all about the perspective of the actors. If you're an actor and you're on stage and you're looking at an audience, your right hand, the one that you're, you're, you're waving to, that over there and you're pointing to the right side, that is stage right. So if you're in the audience... The left side of the stage is stage right. And SpongeBob is standing on on stage right and represents the right side of the brain beautifully. The emotional side, the creative side, the side of your brain that wants to have fun and, and sometimes mindless fun, sometimes fun that maybe might not make the most sense, but it's all about your feelings. It's all about the vibes. It's all about the emotions. Your right side of your brain And then there's Patrick, standing on stage left, very staunch in his stance, which I think is the second time I've used that expression in this episode. That's incredible. Um, But I I think that's still the the correct saying in this expressive way. Anyway, um, Patrick standing there, very stoic, and, and is thinking only with the logical part of his brain. The left side of your brain is the one that overthinks things, is the thinker, the the calculating part of your, your brain, the one that could excuse itself from all emotion. And that's honestly the, the real dichotomy of, of human nature. There are those who can tap in more to their right side and those who tap in more into their left side. There are those who are completely devoid of one side and the other. There are those who are just completely so emotionally driven that the logic just doesn't even dictate their actions. And then there are those out there that are so logical that sometimes the emotionally obvious just goes right over their head. And they're not able to tap into their emotions to be able to pull from experience. And there there are those out there who can also work within the two realms of the right side and the left side of their brain being able to be creatively intelligent, intelligently creative, 
so on and so forth. Honestly, it's the way I feel about stand-up comedians and, and the way that some are able to just speak about themselves and emotions, but then also with a completely higher level of intelligence. It's how I feel about George Carlin, honestly. Someone who was able to perfectly tap in to both sides of his brain, to be able to speak with intelligence, to speak at a higher level of intelligence, and be able to handle complex bits where he would string together words and phrases in beautiful fashion as if he was writing a poem right in front of you. And he was able to tap into that at the same time as being able to tap into his creativity as an artist, as, as a comedian, being able to craft jokes and being able to stand up on stage and, and retell stories and experiences in a unique way while also, you know, in, in front of a crowd and being able to emotionally maintain that. That's a, that's a tough bit. And I'm not saying only stand-up comedians are those who can tap into both. In, in the world of, of anything creative, and even in the world of, of intelligence, there are those out there. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson is someone who is extremely intelligent, but is also extremely charismatic and, and can be creative in a, in a certain aspect differently than, than others in his field. There are those out there with intelligence that could rival Neil deGrasse Tyson who, you know, wouldn't be able to sit in front of a microphone and, and retell things the way he does. So there are those out there who could skew one way or another, but still be able to tap into both aspects. And just seeing the screen of SpongeBob and Patrick standing right next to each other, the way that their expressions are drawn, the way that they're standing, I found it beautiful. I just found it beautiful. I want to get that painted somewhere of, of that scene. Um, but immediately, SpongeBob is just trying to get his friend to feel better. I think he might have just thought, hey, Patrick went through this traumatic experience. Let me just cheer him up a little bit. And it's not really understanding that Patrick, with every other second, is just getting smarter and is uh, not able to stoop down to the levels of SpongeBob's so-called fun, which at first, the very first thing that SpongeBob is presenting to Patrick really as fun, like, hey, let's do this as an activity, is jellyfishing. Which, you know, when you think about it, is, uh, is of course, a little bit like our own fishing up here in a different sort of way. I guess you could take a net in the water and just catch fish and then let them go. It's the most humane way I could imagine taking, you know, a fish from moving to not moving and saying, hey, I captured it, and then to let it go. But we all know that uh, at some point there are those out there not using nets to capture their fish, but there are those who are just capturing the fish for the moment, for the thrill, putting the fish back in the water, and, you know, so on with their lives. Hopefully the fish is okay. Now, for jellyfishing, I, I think it's a little bit more humane to just put the jellyfish in a net and then let it go. And it seems that every time we've seen SpongeBob and Patrick jellyfish, they are really well-skilled jellyfishers who, who handle their jellyfish with care. But that's another thing, the allure of jellyfish with the idea that they can sting. It's a hobby that is actually really dangerous. It's like if you went fishing, but you only want to fish for electric eels. Like, why? What's, what's the allure? Why are you looking to possibly get shocked 
I, I don't know. So it's it's a weird activity that has a, a little hint of danger to it that I honestly don't think is uh, is taken as seriously as it should. Like in the world of Bikini Bottom, jellyfishing is looked at as like a nerd sport. But, you know, these nerds are going out into these fields and and risking a, a lot of uh, a lot of boils and, and bruising and a lot of pain for their hobby. So in some regard, you got to you got to give them credit for that. Uh, Patrick Smartpants, though, does not see the allure of capturing a jellyfish in a net as a fun activity. Instead, he pulls out a book and captures, quote unquote, the jellyfish in in an intricate drawing alongside some other smart doodles and notes without actually capturing the jellyfish and ruining its its habitat. Although he has no problem in proving SpongeBob wrong in his joke about not being able to strum a jellyfish in grabbing a jellyfish right out of the sky and strumming it, you know, stopping stopping the habitat just to prove somebody else wrong, showing the hypocrisy of some of those with with high intelligence, which you you're you're supposed to if you're going to stand up above those and say, I have higher than thou intelligence then you should be smart enough to know when you're finding yourself in an ironic moment or when you're being hypocritical. And then when it's pointed out, those individuals get upset. And I'm sure if you started that argument with Patrick Smartpants, he either would get upset at you trying to call him out for being hypocritical or would just compound you with words you've never heard of into the ground with insults. Of, of a higher degree that you're just left stunned, not even at the insult, just at all of the words you've just been thrown at. I'm stunned forever. When SpongeBob pleads with Patrick to have some fun, Patrick's ideas of, of having fun are running statistics and observing phenomenon while rendering hypothesis about said phenomenon. And it's it's completely a 180 of what we expect of of Patrick Starr. Of course, us as the the viewer understanding, hey, he's of this of this new level of intelligence, and SpongeBob is just now being left in the dust from his best friend. He has no idea, of course, of what we know if you've watched this episode later down the road, but treating this as our first time watching this, having that brain reattached really, even though it increased a certain aspect of Patrick that we would deem as a negative. Now he has no ability to be friends with SpongeBob. He's not interested in anything that SpongeBob is interested in. It's, it's like taking two people who have wildly different interests and putting them in a room. And I'm sure there's a YouTube channel out there or two or three that you can find that have tried doing this. Well, there's this person from, from this part of the world and this person from this part of the world, let's put them together and see what happens. And and we've even had that on reality TV shows like Big Brother and Survivor and so many other reality shows that uh that you know all come down to this basic understanding that I have of you know hey there's just wildly different people. Not everybody's gonna get together in the same way. And you know here we have a classic case of somebody who is is really intelligent and someone who wants to be really creative with their fun 
and they have two wildly different aspects as far as what fun is. Remind it reminds me a little bit of uh, oh, what's the name of the clown from uh, Flappy Bob? Flappy Bob from School's Out the Musical and that whole that whole character arc that he was going through, being being forced to being told what is fun in terms of like running numbers and being into business and then wanting to have actual fun out there. It, it's an interesting concept, but a deeper layer here, another aspect I want to bring up is something that I, I'm sure some of you have gone through in your lives where you have been friends with someone who over time may have changed the way that they think and the way that they act. And one day, maybe it doesn't have to be a necessarily big situation or a big end, but one day you found yourselves apart from one another. And you may still be able to reminisce about the good times, but you are no longer able to, you know, be friends as like active as you can currently be. And you're okay with that. But I'm sure, even if you don't have that that kind of experience now, as you get older, you may find yourself in that kind of situation. And it's okay. People grow apart from one another for various reasons. And growing up, you know, the, the same friends you had in elementary school, you may not necessarily get along with those people in high school in the exact same way. You know? Even if you've grown up with them Throughout that time, we, we all have different experiences outside of that environment that can drastically change how we act, how we think, the tastes we're into, what we're not into. And because of that, you're just constantly growing. And there's some out there who, who don't and may be the same. I can certainly think of one or two people that I would say from knowing them from elementary or middle school into high school, I would say, yeah, they're, they're roughly the same person, not not necessarily a drastic change, but even behind the scenes, you're not sure about what they're, they're going on with and how they feel and, and change is just a, a natural feeling. So as Patrick was, you know, not able to fall into the same kind of fun that SpongeBob was bringing up, it just reminded me of times that, uh, especially growing up in middle school, I at least had friends that got into some hard substances that, because they were so young, drastically changed their attitudes, drastically changed their interests, and all of a sudden, you know, hey, that's more of, of a drastic shift in in a friendship, and, and not, as I mentioned, more of like, hey, just gradual, you, you lose interest over time. But that's how I felt with SpongeBob in this episode, where I'm hanging out with my friend one day, and the next day, he's completely different. And that, that happened to me, at least at least once in my life, of one person I can think of, where there was just a, a drastic change in, in attitude, almost overnight. And it felt like that, right here with Spongebob, feeling distraught over this situation with Patrick and, and Patrick's smart pants. As we leave Jellyfish Fields, we head back to Conch Street, where we, we go into Patrick's Rock, which right from the outside we can see has has been installed with a satellite dish of some sort, of some sort of scientific device that I'm sure as long as it brings extra cable channels, Patrick Starr, that we all know and love, would, would be fine with that addition. But inside of the of the home of Patrick Smartpants, we find that although he is of a higher intelligence, 
he is still using sand for even the most intricate devices, which should tell you, wait a minute, well, that's the same thing that Patrick Starr was doing before. Oh, wait. In some ways, Patrick is a genius. You gotta give him credit where credit's due. Having furniture out of sand is not necessarily something that's dumb. It's actually incredibly smart, and if you go back to I'm With Stupid, the fact that he was able to create such masterpieces of furniture in such a short amount of time is is extraordinary. I'm, I'm thinking back to that, looking at this and seeing Patrick Smartpants, who has seemingly created a functioning microscope out of sand, which is extremely hilarious, like an actual functioning microscope made entirely out of sand. SpongeBob comes in on him, and we are shown that Patrick is checking out a small specimen. And for as funny as the, the sand microscope is, we get a glimpse inside of the microscope and see that Patrick Smartpants is checking out plankton. He's the small specimen inside of his microscope. And I, I had to pause the episode there for a second and think about something I'd never thought about before. That moment was funny. But what was even more hilarious was the thought of how Plankton got into that situation in the first place. How did Patrick get him? Did he kidnap him? Did he just walk into the chum bucket and take him? Did he see him on the street and just say, you're my friend now? And even in that way, did he make friends with Plankton because of his high intelligence to some regard and then decided, ah, I'm going to check you out in a microscope. Another funny ripple to this entire situation is inside of Patrick Starr's home, inside of this scene, we have Patrick Smartpants dressed up more, inside more of a scientific look. He has a tie-on, he has a, a lab coat of some sort, and when they leave the house, he just goes back to wearing nothing. He goes back to wearing just the the board shorts, the, the surfer shorts, the swim trunks. And that's so funny to still have this character out in public wearing just nothing, no shirt. He takes the shirt off. Oh, we're going outside? Takes all the lab stuff off and goes back to just wearing nothing but the shorts. They head over to Squidward, who is practicing his clarinet. And of course, if you're going to make Patrick Star intelligent, you have to have some sort of interaction with Squidward. That is a no-brainer. And Patrick comes into the room not only knowing of the song that Squidward is trying to play, but is also able to tell Squidward in musical terms a way to play it better. That Squidward is able to understand. He's able to know, I've, I've never thought about playing that song that way. And is, is ready to implement Patrick's newfound intelligence over music. SpongeBob is even questioning, like, where did you know this much about music? When did you know all of this? And Patrick just shoves off SpongeBob. And even when SpongeBob shows off a musical proficiency that is better than Squidward still gets shoved out of the room, which is incredible going back to the paper episode of SpongeBob, even with a piece of paper, being able to play music better than Squidward, yet in front of this so-called intelligence that nose play gets completely kicked out of the room where he decides to be the mentor 
for Squidward tentacles and is able to teach him as he's growing with this instrument. Pretty much as SpongeBob gets to the street outside, Patrick quits his job as Squidward's mentor because he just seems unteachable. He runs into SpongeBob for one last encounter, one last plea from SpongeBob over over hanging out, over being friends. And this is where Patrick lets down Robert here in the best way possible. We've just grown apart. We're into different things, and it's just best for you to move on, where Patrick just does that. He moves on and leaves SpongeBob in a heap, in a heap of sadness. He just lost his best friend. I am so proud of the writers of this episode for doing the logical thing in this situation, which would be, for me, if I was writing this episode, would be, well, SpongeBob should go to Sandy. This is a situation that deserves Sandy's input. I feel like some might just have SpongeBob in this moment go and sulk in his home, and and sometimes Sandy is forgotten about, but SpongeBob immediately goes to Sandy's house to go and discuss what's going on. And it was such a smart and intelligent move to go to Sandy's that Patrick Smartpants has beaten all of us to the punch, including SpongeBob. He's already in Sandy's tree dome, talking with Sandy, conversating with Sandy, and running statistics, or at least talking about math equations, changing up math equations over a chalkboard. And SpongeBob is left outside crying as even his next friend is being able to enjoy Patrick more than he is. Everything is going fine between the two until Sandra is insulted by Patrick Smartpants, where she comes up with an equation she's not able to finish. Patrick is able to finish it for her. And when she mentions that she never would have thought of it in that way, Patrick says, well, even the simplest of mammals would have been able to handle remedial equations which, of course, is incredibly insulting, but it's also just so far-sighted in the whole equation of the world. Sandy is able to do scientific uh, projects and make equipment unlike anyone has, has been able to do underwater, at the same time as maintaining the strength unlike which has never been seen of any other creature that, that we've encountered under the ocean. And uh, and the fact that he thinks that even the simplest of mammals would be able to handle these kind of equations that he's presenting, it's just laughably wrong. And of course, he gets kicked out of, of Sandra's tree dome, which, by the way, this is another aspect that brings an entirely different layer to this episode. There are those out there with a high level of intelligence that may lack in some form of understanding the emotional weight of what they're saying. The case in point, Patrick in his words may be honest and he may be truthful and he may be blunt, but is lacking the emotional understanding of what exactly he said to insult Sandy. He's, you know, perplexed. And there are those out there who I I can even think of. I know friends who could be incredibly blunt at times, and it comes off as rude, but it's just the way that they are. It's not meant inherently to be rude. They're just blunt, truthful people who just speak right from the hip and just go like, hey, this is how I'm feeling 
right now in this moment, or not even that they're feeling. This is what they think in this moment. And sometimes they've put their foot in their mouth or or they would have been better off if they put their foot in their mouth instead of saying what they've said. And the point with all this is that the intention is not going into a situation with, with hurt, with the idea of, you know, I'm going to insult this person. Patrick is just speaking his mind, speaking intelligently, and is just letting everything go, has no filter, and is not thinking about what he's saying. And of course, he insults Sandy and then has no idea why she would be insulted and just moves on with his head in the clouds and completely has no regard as to what transpired. There are those out there who do that. And it's just not meant to be, you know, negative. It's not their purpose. It's just something that they happen to do, but then there's just no reflection on it. There's no understanding. That's that's that part of the brain where you are fully into that that left side. You're fully into that left side of the brain. Everything is just about logic. It's about numbers, about facts, about being analytical. All of that is is Patrick in a nutshell in this moment and has no wherewithal over his emotions or how he's coming across to other people. But eventually, eventually, even with all of this happening and all of these people that he wants nothing to do with, they want nothing to do with him, he finds himself alone in a room. Alone in a room with a book of memories of past times with SpongeBob. Fun experiences they had. And now the the cogs are really turning in his head as to why he could have all of this fun and have this friend, have this companion, and then feel this way all of a sudden and not want him around. The, the intelligence is starting to go back around again. He's starting to think about things. And he's starting to actually care about things. There's a little bit of growth here with Patrick Smartpants, even in his own right. So he starts putting pedal to the metal, getting science to the fact of fun, looking at x-rays between SpongeBob and himself, meditating on the top of his rock with incense. And then the weirdest bit of this episode is he has Squidward with some sort of contraption on Squidward's head, these tentacle-looking things coming out of Squidward's head, and they all look like they're either sucking something out or whatever's going on, and he's studying the effects of of what's going on. I don't know if he wants to study the negativity of Squidward in some way, if that's the reasoning of having Squidward involved with this. Like, hey, Squidward obviously is not having the same fun as SpongeBob, so I should study him to see what's going on with, with his brain. I, I can understand that. If I had a dollar for every brain you don't have, I'd have one dollar. And there's one close-up shot of Patrick's face at the end of this montage where he is starting to grow a stubble. He's exacerbating all options as to what it is he could possibly do to get back his friend. And there's an up-close shot of Patrick's face as he removes the book from view and we see the stubble and it's an incredibly effective up close shot that I wish they went the extra mile a bit in the matte painting department like how they have some of those grotesque up close shots that are that are more detailed I I wish they would have just given us a little bit more with Patrick and his stubble but for what they did give us the eyes 
the look of desperation. We can see that he is legitimately trying with every ounce of his mind to get back to being a good friend with SpongeBob and decides that at the end of the day, even with all of this genius, there's nothing that can replace a good friend. So he decides to, instead of, you know, dumping more chemicals on his head and growing hair, just as he did earlier in this episode, as Patrick Starr barge right into that sign, he barges right into some fun with SpongeBob. He kidnaps SpongeBob with a jellyfish net, drags him right to jellyfish fields, with SpongeBob, of course, being overly excited that he's being kidnapped over this over this idea that they're going to be jellyfishing. And Patrick Smartpants tries his darndest on a day of jellyfishing to try to capture whatever sort of magic that there was before the incident. And it doesn't necessarily happen while they're jellyfishing, but during their next activity of sandboarding, which we have seen, I think, the third time up to this point and would become a regular staple in many SpongeBob video games. Sandboarding is is certainly uh, a popular one with uh, with us SpongeBob fans. And this time they're not just sandboarding and standing on the clam like a snowboard. This time they're sitting on a bigger one, going down this uh, this mountain and into some terrible looking terrain that SpongeBob is over the moon about. And even during their tumble off of this clam board of theirs and into the sand where Patrick is just left with a mouthful of sand that he ends up swallowing and is just unable to find what it is that SpongeBob is is having so much fun about. He's not having fun himself, and he's feeling distraught over not being on the same level of, of SpongeBob. And it's during this moment of desperation that Patrick SmartPants does... Probably the smartest thing of this episode. Fall. <laughs> it's not smart. It's not a smart thing at all. Uh, he runs over to the cliff that he fell off before and wants to um, recreate the same incident that happened before so that he can somehow reclaim his his essence, what makes him Patrick Starr which I'm selfishly glad he did because we get to see another Wiley e. Coyote style fall to the ground. <laughs> and this time when SpongeBob arrives to the scene, doesn't necessarily find his head this time, but finds the body of Patrick just inside of the ground, pulls him out and notices his entire head is missing. We can see that his head has just been kind of pushed in into his body, we can see what looks like a little, um, little puckered, you know, hole right there on the top of Patrick's shoulders. Um, you could just see that the the head is is indented. And SpongeBob is now running around thinking, "Oh, now I gotta I gotta find your head again. I was able to find it the first time. I can do it again." Patrick, of course, then just pops his head back out. Still has the same intelligence, and it seems like they were unable to recreate the same incident that happened before. Patrick Smartpants is not done with the investigation, though. He pushes SpongeBob with further information. He says, wait a minute. Didn't you find my cranium in another place? You found it dislodged? And SpongeBob somehow points right next to him where he found it. I think he just guessed just a spot. I think he has no idea where he found that original 
piece of brain coral because under further inspection, when Patrick Smartpants puts his numbers to the test, he is able to scientifically find exactly where the top of his head should have fallen. And here it is. Here's the top of Patrick's head. Well, what is it that SpongeBob found over over there? And it's it's brain coral. It's what we come to find out as brain coral, and it looks just like the top part of Patrick's head. So somehow, Patrick Star has been running around with the intelligence of some coral, knowing his memories of some sort, but blocked off most of the soul and essence of what makes Patrick Patrick. And once he removes the the brain coral and reattaches his original head, we get one of the most beautiful endings I think I've seen up to this point in SpongeBob SquarePants. It's a little overly annoying. They turn up that switch yet again because Patrick is back to being Patrick, but especially the way that they run off into this beautifully drawn purplish sunset, I I can't not adore an ending like this, which just comes back to this idea of these two friends and their love for one another. And it's not necessarily uh, an inappropriate kind of love, but hey, I love my best friend. My best friend Alex has been with me in physical form since the third grade. It wasn't until the fifth grade that we like really started hanging out with one another outside of school. And ever since then, he has been the Patrick to my SpongeBob and I've been the Patrick to his SpongeBob. He's been my guy that I could go to for any situation if I need to talk about something good or bad. And an ending like this only just makes me think of my my best friend. Even when Patrick and SpongeBob are somberly going through their book of memories and looking at the photos, I was thinking of my friend. I have photos of him even at my desk here and of a previous experience we've gone on. It's wonderful. How can you not think of certain aspects of your life when you watch an episode like this. I I don't think it's possible. I don't think you couldn't pull from some experience of losing a friend either just over time naturally or hard style if they just get into something crazy and even the overall aspects of friendship. I, I can't think of anybody who wouldn't think of their best friend after watching an episode like this. And for an episode ending so beautifully... I uh, I have to say, it's it's a great way to start the day. Knowledge can never replace friendship. It's a quote from Patrick Smartpants right before he decides to go back to being Patrick Star and replaces the brain. And it's a uh, poignant statement, I have to say. Now, I know a lot of this episode, and, and I'm talking about this episode in particular, if I'm ready may have come off as anti-intelligence, and that's farther from the truth. I actually think that intelligence should be revered a little bit more in today's society than it is, but it's actually just more on the on the change that one can happen in a distinct way so rapidly and on someone. That's that's more or less what I would I would joke at and gesture at. And it's not to say that you can't be intelligent and also have a, a friendship as well. That's certainly not the uh, conception I want you to walk away with. You can certainly be incredibly intelligent, knowledgeable, and also maintain 
friendships with people. But given Patrick's circumstances in this moment, where he has found himself as the most intelligent being, not only in Bikini Bottom, but possibly under the water. And with all of this intelligence, if he has no one to be able to engage with and, and you know, hey, even run statistics or observe phenomenon, if he has no one to be able to do that with, then what's the point? You just have all this knowledge in your head and no way to express it. There are those out there in those positions who may not need a friendship or feel the need for friendship and just decide to use their intelligence in various ways, either by publishing books or uh, I'm sure there's even teachers out there, professors who may not have many friends and, and may not feel like they need them around. But at the end of the day, when you have someone by your side, someone that you can just do things with and, and even just do nothing with, that's that's the best thing I can think of. Those moments where you are just hanging out with your best friend and you're just doing nothing or you're cruising in a car or you're just chilling on a couch or you're playing games or you're taking a walk, in those quiet moments, doesn't everything just feel right in the world? So regardless on your level of intelligence, I'm sure we can all agree that having a friendship out there like SpongeBob and Patrick's is is better than anything else. It's better than any knowledge you could have. It's better than any intelligent conversation you could have. Just having that one friend that you can turn to 100%, no matter what, knowing at their core, they are always going to have your back. That's That's special right there. You can't replace that. You can't buy it in a store. And when you have it, just respect and value what you're able to have in that friendship. Just take a moment to look at your best friend or think about them and, and know what you have in another person. That's that's a special moment. And it's incredible that in in this time of the of the world, at this moment, you can say you've met someone that you consider a friend that closely. And that's that is irreplaceable. Regardless on if knowledge is what is at stake. So uh, I hope all of you out there are having a, a wonderful time. Thank you for joining me on this week's episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. I have been thinking about new plans into the new year, starting out with some of the items that are actually going to be dropping on the YouTube channel in December. I have a new unboxing, even though it's for the Halloween spooky editions of the Nick Box and the... Uh, the Bikini Bottom Box. It was in a completely new style and just took a little bit uh, of a different approach in editing, and that's going to be dropping in the next day or so, along with a special release. I, I think I'm going to keep it for Christmas time that will be a full video, not just an audio podcast, and will not be released anywhere else but YouTube. So please follow and subscribe to the Captain Eric YouTube channel. You can search at the Captain Eric on YouTube, or click on the YouTube link in the podcast description below. Or if you're already watching this on YouTube, just hit that subscribe button, hit that like button. Doesn't cost you a dime. So even if you're Mr. Krabs, you don't even have to worry about that. If you would like to engage with Captain Eric a bit more, you can email me at spongepodpodcast at gmail.com. I read everything that comes in. And if there is ever a way to incorporate a question, suggestion, or what have you into the show, I will do so. You can also follow me on Twitter 
at I'm Ready Podcast, and on Instagram at SpongeBob Podcast. And if you would like to go beyond subscribing, that is actually the best way you can show your support, joining the Ready Crew. But if you would like to show the extra mile of support, check out the Red Bubble link in the podcast description below. That is a one-stop shop for any of the logos or pieces of art that I want to upload. And you can literally take that art and put it on a multitude of products. Never going to force a shirt. Never going to force a hat. You will always have the control at your fingertips as what you want to support Kath and Eric on. Even if it's a sticker for your water bottle at the gym, it's always appreciated. Anything that comes in through my projects, go right back directly into my projects. And uh, I can't wait. I think right in January, I'm going to be debuting all the new electronics, all the new podcasting setup. It's going to be great. I'm I'm excited. And uh, over, over the next year, I think it's going to be the next step in the Captain Eric saga. There's going to be more here. There's there's steps and so far I've I've completed some some challenges that I've had over the year with getting the shows in order and just getting everything in its place so that I'm in a place to be able to move on. I'm excited for the future of this week in Nickelodeon history. I actually am excited to finish the number 52nd episode of that run so I can I can just take a break and then reset it in this wonderful way that I think is going to be best for the show, best for me, and I think best for you, the listeners, as well. So if you ever have any suggestions for I'm Ready, you can always email me uh, in the aforementioned email that I already gave you. You should have written that down. And as always, ladies, gentlemen, members of the Ready crew, I hope you are staying safe as you're out there. Be kind to one another and come aboard again next week to another episode of I'm Ready! A SpongePod Squarecast. Oh, the glory days. Why have we grown apart? <laughs> I must apply all that I know to solve this problem. Oh.